0: you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic
1: with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. And I'm Father Travis Crotty. It's good to be with you. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Um, We welcome all of our guests. Uh, Those who are with the church, those who are just kind of maybe feeling fallen away and are trying to stick their toe back in, Mm. maybe some who are really struggling with the church or struggling even with some of the themes that we talk about here, Um, you're always welcome to write in and let us know at outcastcatholic at gmail.com some things, just reactions that you might have, but even some topics that might
0: come up for you. So welcome back. Father Travis, it's good to be with you. the Shane, likewise. It's good to see over a screen, even though it was <laughs> a little too far. But yeah, it, I wish we could be in person, but it's still good to be connected like this. No, it's good. Um, it's difficult, but I'm,
1: I'm glad the technology allows us to keep going now that I'm living down here in St. Louis. Uh, got to go to a Cardinals game recently. Yeah. I had seen them uh, down at Bush Stadium uh, last week with the Sarah Club of, of St. Louis here. Very generous folks gave tickets for the whole seminary community to go yeah. down. Yeah, so
0: was this the one um and I'm I'm happy to call this guy out. Was this the one where Father Donald Morris threw the first pitch and it was like the yes. worst literally Father Donald Morris or somebody share this with him. That was absolutely terrible. It like no, went, it went like it. sideways. Like it was like it was like at the it was at the dugout. I mean it was so <laughs> far away. It was
1: like He owns it. Uh,
0: <laughs> A typical first pitch is like, oh yeah, okay, it just got off the mound and it kind of rolls to the catcher. This was wild.
1: Yeah, so it was kind of a a Catholic celebration night at Bush Stadium. There was a bunch of religious sisters there. The seminary was present. Archbishop Rosansky came to the game. A bunch of Sarah Club members were there. And Father Donald was invited to, to throw out the first pitch. I was not yet in my seat, so I didn't see it. But I talked to him afterwards. He claims it was awful. He claims that the church went backwards in her in her you know uh, credibility and pu- public credibility in yeah. that moment. He was embarrassed about the whole thing. Not sure how he was chosen. Not yeah. <laughs> sure if he actually you know did any practicing in preparation for that. Um, but it was a bit of a whiff. But the rest of the game was enjoyable. <laughs> you know, at, at the time where we are recording this right now, I believe Albert Pujols is at um, six hundred and ninety-seven home runs. He's going for that, you know, that, that record of 700 if he can get it uh, before he retires. Uh, he did not get to play or they did not put him in even to pinch hit the other night. So we didn't see him play. Um, but it was a great game. There was a bunch of people who left probably about the seventh inning because the cards were down, you know, against the uh, Washington Nationals. And they came back and scored in the bottom of the ninth, five oh. runs to win Whoa. it. Oh, they scored five um, runs in the bottom of the ninth? They scored five runs in the bottom of the ninth. The the momentum shift and the enthusiasm of, of that stadium was awesome. I had never, every time I've been to a major league game, like the game is over by the sixth inning. It's like usually a major blowout and people just start leaving. But we stuck it out and, uh, uh, you know, there was no fair weather fans among the seminarians and they stuck it out. And there was this huge, huge momentum shift, and the stadium went nuts, the fireworks afterwards. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome night. And I would never been to a major league game in September, mm. but just gorgeous weather, you know. It really beats, you know, sitting out on a hot, humid night in July. Yeah. But just gorgeous weather. It was great for St. Louis. To go off uh, that evening with such a strong victory. So St. Louis is fun. such
0: a baseball town that I could imagine how exciting that was. It also sounds like you've been hanging out in the pre-sun with father hazing because you're just like popping off random like MLB sports stats as if like you're a, <laughs> like like you just always have those in your mind, right?
1: Well, when you start to live here, yeah, you, know, you just kind of get absorbed, especially when the the team's doing really well. Yeah, you know the team's doing quite well. It'll be fun to see how how far they go in the postseason here, especially with Pujols going after this record. Because uh, what I saw the Cards play in Philadelphia earlier this summer, and the Philly fans actually stood up and gave him a standing ovation at the start of the game, knowing that he was retiring, that knowing that it was probably his last time playing in Philadelphia. Wow! Uh, which says a lot about the Philadelphia fans uh, to show that much respect for the, uh, for a, an athlete that they know is one of the greats. Yeah. Um, so it, it is fun, kind of uh, arriving in St. Louis, kind of
0: as his uh, career is coming to its culmination. Um, But we had a great time. I sat in between uh, two new vocation directors at the Orioles game I was at at NC DVD, and they're both, like, big, big sports guys, big baseball guys. I love the atmosphere of a baseball game. I'll go to MLB game all day long just to hang out, get a free shirt, eat a hot dog, do the whole thing. I usually say I have about a four-inning attention span because I don't, like, I'm not that invested in the game. These guys were so invested, and somehow I got in the middle of them, and they were just talking, like, MLB stats of like the whole League across like from me and I was Like you guys just move sit by each other Right but I'm glad I'm glad you're like kind of Getting to that level so that's exciting Well um, Do you have a Cardinals shirt yet You have a Cardinals like any Swag yet
1: Official apparel yet, but that'll be coming Okay um so it was, it was just a good kind of St. Louis experience. Another St. Louis experience I had was my first haircut here in town. Wow, that's exciting. And uh, just want sh- to share. <laughs> haircuts are always exciting. Just want to share a little bit about the experience with you. Oh. Um, went to a local barbershop. Didn't trust the seminarians who had their own kind of you know, barbershop here for free haircuts. Went to a barbershop. It was good to just get off campus, out of community living for a moment. The Stylus was very nice. Um, it, it, it's a nice barber shop. It's a it, nationally known chain. Yeah. Did you go to the same spot and, that
0: some of the other uh, formators often go to? Did you get the recommendation? I, I don't know. Uh, whatever.
1: I don't know. Anyways, I was there. Stylus was nice, and uh, I'm, I'm dressed in my collar, so she knows I'm a cleric. Uh-huh. We start talking. She started sharing kind of what parish she grew up here in the city, the school that she went to, all the great nuns that, that she had in her education and formation growing up. Um, she also then shared with me what parish she now belongs to, uh, wasn't real clear to me if she's really practicing the faith or perhaps maybe just distantly participating in the life of her parish. But as we got talking, you know, she started making some comments about, you know, uh, well, everyone, you know, kind of chooses their own path in life. Everyone chooses different religions. And well, you know, all these religions are the same because we all end up in the same spot.
0: Good people doing good things. All go to heaven. All good dogs go and to heaven, you, you
1: know? And you've heard this. I'm sure everyone's been in conversations like this. All of our listeners have probably heard this. You know, this this very common cultural notion that all religions are the same. They're all going to get up in, you're all going to end up in the same spot. You might take a few different twists and turns based on whatever path you choose. But we're all going to the mountaintop together.
0: Yep. You ever heard this, Father? Oh, yeah. How Some familiar? might call that a universalism everybody's just kind (laughs) of going to end up in the same spot, you know?
1: Yeah. So I kind of want to lean into that. Um, Are we really all destined for the same exact spot? Um, Obviously Jesus in his salvific plan for our redemption wants us to all be saved. Yeah. But are we all going to end up in the same spot regardless of that great gift of eternal life that Jesus offers and are all religions the same? Yeah. Offering us access to this one same spot, so Mm -hmm. to speak. So I just want to lean into that. Um, Obviously that we would know from our own, you know, Catholic tradition. No, no, we're not all going to end up in the same spot. Uh, The the realities of of heaven and hell are real. Right. That's what makes them a reality. Right. Right. The real. Um, Those who want nothing to do with God those who have never created a place for, for him in their interior life, those who are not interested in his discipleship, uh, in his call to discipleship, and those who really don't want to cooperate with the grace that he gives to start living with the power of divine life in us now, well, they're not probably really interested in heaven. Yeah, And God in his generosity gives them a place exactly where they can feel comfortable, a place where they don't have to experience him, his sovereignty, his lordship, his love, his mercy, all of that, right? And that's what we call hell. Yeah, And certainly we know the fallen angels are there. Um, there will be others in our Catholic tradition who we are certain uh, go straight to heaven. You know, the great saints who, because of their cooperation with God's grace, because of their receptivity of this gift of salvation, because of their radical life of holiness, they, they have become so unified with God here on earth that stepping into the next realm just becomes... Uh, a very natural, very organic progression of where their heart and their mind and their will and their soul has always been ordered towards, Uh right? And then for those who might um, spend time being purified, they're still worthy of salvation, um, but maybe there is a stain of sin that's still clinging to them, uh, maybe an unhealthy attachment, uh, maybe something that's just part of their soul that's just really not worthy of the presence of the Trinity and has to be purified before they're welcomed into the halls of heaven. So, we, so we know that there's eternal uh, realities, eternal destinations, eternal states that are not all equal. Mm-hmm. And and to simply minimize, you know, those realities to say, well, we're all going to end up in the same spot, anyways, um, really minimizes the gift of heavenly life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And really minimizes
0: the threat of hell. <clears throat> yeah, to actually understand what those things mean is so helpful. And as you just explained, it's like. I've said this pretty bluntly to some high school students before. If you're living in relationship with God, you know, insofar as he's revealed himself to us, and we could break that down, but I often say, well, how has God revealed himself to us? He revealed himself through this plan of salvation that included the people of Israel, that culminated in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and from Jesus came the church and her sacraments, right? The most clear revelation that we can point to of God to his chosen people, right? And then from his chosen people, Becoming a light to the nations, as Vatican II says in Lumen Gentium, right, and calling all ba- all people all back to themselves, right. This, I love it, the exitus Reditus, right. This coming out of God, everything comes out of God, and God is drawing all things back to Himself, right. And that God desires all men and women to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth, in the letter to Saint Timothy, like that's a beautiful line that Saint Paul says. But to say, okay, if you're living in relationship with God, insofar as He's revealed Himself, and you die then you stay in relationship with God, right? But I've said to kind of bluntly to some young people before, yeah, if you're not living in a relationship with God, especially insofar as he's revealed himself for living in that life of having encountered that revelation through the church and her sacraments, through the scriptures and this revelation of God to man, to men and women, then we don't just magically poof into a relationship with God when we die, if we're not living in that relationship, and of course the church has given us this kind of nuanced understanding of invincible ignorance for those who by no fault of their own like are seeking that which is true good and beautiful but maybe haven't experienced yet the full revelation of God to men and women right through Jesus in his church in the sacraments so are they destined are they doomed to hell the church has never doomed anybody to hell right but like what is what has been proposed is that there is a life lived in communion with God And there's the option, the radical freedom God gives us to say, no, I don't want that. Um, But I I ran into a similar conversation recently where somebody said, okay, but come on, God is so good that regardless of what you do, he's obviously going to want you to be with him. So he's just going to zap you into heaven, into his presence. And I kind of pushed back and I said, okay, yeah, but is that free will? Is that the free will God gives us? And is that that kind of radical freedom God gives us to say, no, if you want to go away, if you want to turn away from me, if you don't want what's on offer, you don't have to receive that, right? And he'll give us what's our due, right? He's just uh, as well as merciful. Yeah.
1: It's, it's so convenient to forget that he's also full of justice, right. not just full of mercy, yeah. right? He, he has all those attributes within him. Um, when, and when people say this, like, well, yeah, because he, he obviously wants all people, so he's just going to, like, wave his magic wand, and we're all going to go to heaven, and therefore all religions are equal, and you might as well take whatever road you want. You know, I, I just really bristle at this because it really reduces the, uh, the claims of Christianity. And therefore, it reduces what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You know, if, if all of these religions are just the same, well, then why did he need to come in the first place, right? Now, I mean, do we believe that there is good in other world religions as Catholics? Yes. You know, do we understand that there's something good, true, and beautiful about them? Absolutely. In their elements, do we also believe that God is powerful enough to communicate his grace to people outside of the Catholic Church? Yes, absolutely. God is not bound by his own church, right? Um, he's not confined to that which his son created and, and found it, right? Um. So yes, can grace out, operate outside of the church? Yes, but do we ever want to, to go so far as to say, let's just reduce and minimize and relativize the great gift? I mean, why did... um. Why did Jesus have to come and, and come to huma- save humanity in the first place? Why was He incarnate and born at Christmas time, if all religions would have done the same purpose to get mm. us, you know, to the final end game? And then why did He, you know, offer this this radical call of discipleship, the preaching of the Beatitudes, uh, the challenging words to take up your cross and follow Me? then noticing that he does that very act. You know, he takes up his cross and dies for us on Calvary, nailing to the cross the, the weight and the punishment of sin and death in his perfect offering to the Father to fulfill justice. Um, and then, of course, you know, having completed that, that self-offering with sin and death being permanently defeated, he proves that on Easter morning. You know, as he as he erupts from the tomb, uh, and really enters into a new glorified state, and and reveals to his disciples the glorified state to, that all of us are to are to enjoy, a glorified state that is only accessible through the through the gift of the cross. Mm. You know, if we, if we minimize all of that and say, well, I guess that really wasn't necessary. Other wor- religions of the world could have got us to the same destination. Yeah, it's nice that he died for us, but it it might not impact me and and i can kind of choose my own routing here to to all get to this paradise that we look forward to wow doesn't that just kind of minimize the goodness and the the overwhelming magnitude of god's love for us in sending the second person of the trinity incarnate in the flesh to die and rise again for you and me
0: yeah exactly and that christian claim father shane that you've been pointing out i think really beautifully it calls to mind Two men who, in the past, when kind of these these modernist tendencies were kind of coming up in the church, right? I'm thinking of your boy uh, G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis too. Like, so C.S. Lewis first was coming to mind in his in his work *Mere Christianity*, which is written for the popular audience, right? If you've you've never kind of dabbled in that book, it's it's really accessible, and he's asking these big questions of like a people, right, at a time when this you know Christendom is kind of falling apart. Well, what are what is the Christian claim? and that's where he comes up but we've talked about it before that trilemma of no 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 we, we can't just pretend like Jesus is this nice guy is he a is he lord is he a liar is he a lunatic is he just a legend he asks that question but he also mentions that um in that text comparing world religions and looking at what they really are like is christianity like so many you know kind of expressions of religious religiosity in the world um humanity seeking after the truth, seeking after God, or is the revelation of God through Christ God-seeking man, God-seeking humanity? That's just kind of those questions that C.S. Lewis proposes. And I love, too, in in Chesterton's The Everlasting Man, he just attacks this question right away, and he says, like, yeah, what is the Christian claim, right? And where we're living in this post-Christian society, we can't just act like we're we're looking at it with with kind of fresh eyes. When he starts looking at it with fresh eyes, he says... No, it's something very different than every other religion of the world, right? So those just seem to be important questions to ask instead of getting caught up in the kind of just, oh, um, yeah, like the armchair kind of like historian intellectual pursuit of just, oh, yeah, they're all the same, just kind of that mm-hmm. dismissiveness. Are they, though, right? And right. I understand that people who grew up in a Christian tradition, they'll often say, um, well, how am I supposed to know that this tradition that I was raised in is the right one? when there's so many other religions out there and they'll say, because there's so many other religions out there that make truth claims, right? That's clear then that mine can't be the only right one because there's all of these religions in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's been my kind of my proposal with some friends who found themselves at that place of doubt. It's like, okay, then actually do some research, right? Don't just give up on the whole pursuit of, of, God's revelation to man of religion, of our response to that, just because there happens to be these different experiences of it. Right. And I think so right. appropriately, the church in its ecclesiology has approached that. Like you were saying, saying that, no, there is truth in these different expressions of religiosity in the world, but what's the fullness of the truth. How has God revealed himself and how, like, how is he inviting us to himself? Mm-hmm.
1: We certainly know from John three sixteen, right? There's like that full declaration of the faith for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. That claim, as Chesterton saw that you were just pointing out, is rather, is incredibly radical. That God would love the world so much that he would send his son to die for us. And that if we believe in that, there is going to be the gift of eternal life. Um, I think there is this tendency to reduce the claims of Christianity and to relativize the, the claims of all world religions as equal, because it's just convenient. It's just comfortable. Oh, yeah. It's just a lot easier to say, oh, you don't actually have to follow Jesus's radical call to discipleship. You don't actually have to get serious about holiness because, well, we're all just going to try and be good people, and your route is just as good as my route, and let's not be too judgmental. I don't want to beat a dead horse because those are themes that we've come back to over and over again. But we cannot shy away from the radical call that Jesus invites us to, because to do that is actually to insult ourselves. Um, It it, it insults God, obviously, in his commands and in his invitation to communion with him, but it also insults insults ourselves, right? Uh, Paul saw this in his his first letter to Corinthians, to the Corinthians in chapter 15, right? You know, he says very clearly that if Christ has not been raised, then empty to is our preaching, empty to your faith, um, if all of this doesn't really make a difference, then your own faith, your your own claim to Christianity becomes really relativized and, and really kind of pointless at that point. If all religions become the same. Uh, so I, we're not suggesting here in this conversation that we should go out and you know pick fights or anything. Um, we're not We're not you know claiming that we should go you know beat our chest with lots of bravado culturally and tell everybody that we've got it figured out. But to actually understand that we hold a very precious gift in our hands that needs to be shared with others, that's a source of eternal life for them through the gift of Christian faith, we we never want to take that for granted. And we don't want to minimize it, not only to insult our own faith, but also not to insult the gift that's available for others, and certainly not to to uh, insult the gift of faith that so many martyrs and people who have sacrificed for over the years so that we can enjoy this precious gift, um, Father. About oh, it's probably about fifteen years ago. I heard a, a, a talk by Archbishop Gusta Noya and um, he was he was speaking. He at the time he was working in Washington at the U.S. Bishops Conference in the Doctrinal Office. He now works at the Vatican, mm-hmm. and he was saying that in the year two thousand, when we were celebrating the Great Jubilee. Uh, the Vatican wanted to, under the direction of John Paul II, they wanted to publish a, a statement really affirming the whole identity and the primacy of Jesus as our Savior. And that had to be the focal point of the Jubilee amidst all the other celebrations. And Archbishop de Noia relates that uh, the, the Washington office got an advanced copy of this document called Dominus Iesus. Yeah. And they read it in the doctrinal office and they, they kind of tossed it aside and they said, well, yeah, that kind of summarizes our faith. It's a, it's a beautiful summary, no big deal. Well, then when it was actually released, there was this firestorm of people around the world who attacked it. And what they were really attacking is this exclusivity claim huh. that Catholics believe that the fullness of truth subsists within their church and that Jesus is the one savior of the entire world and that it is through him alone that salvation is granted. Um, this just was really surprising to Archbishop De Noia. He wasn't he didn't realize how far the culture had swung away from understanding that salvation could come through one means. Uh, So I just share that because um, this exclusivity claim, it's not meant to to beat up other people of religious identity, but it's actually meant to highlight the great gift that we have through the salvation that Jesus won for us on the cross. And to live in that and to step into that is to hold it precious and valuable and to, to share the need with others for their gift of their own salvation. Amen. Yeah, that's so, wonderful. Yeah, just a little story in there. So, anyways, uh, we don't believe that all roads are the same, and we don't believe that um, uh, the gift of, of religious truth, you know, can be so relativized that Jesus's, you know, gift of salvation really becomes pointless. Uh, so let's keep defending the preciousness of our faith, and we'll share it with others. Travis, always good to be with you. Thanks for your time today.
0: Likewise. Uh, and everybody, again, let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear them. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.